text of our sermon this morning is the epistle reading, in particular, one, one word, um, from Romans chapter 3, verse, the end of verse 24, verse 25. In verse 25, there's one word that we're going to reflect on today. St. Paul writes this, Romans chapter 3, 24 and 25. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And also from the gospel reading, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So today we're going to reflect on that word propitiation and how many people think that by doing what they want, they find freedom. But in reality, we find true freedom in following God's word, being saved by faith. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Propitiation. That is the word we reflect today as we remember one of the slogans of the Reformation. Remember the solas. The Latin term sola, meaning alone, the solas of the Reformation, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone. But today we're going to pay attention to sola scriptura, scriptures alone, but kind of in an interesting way. Scripture alone, or sola scriptura, was very important because at the time of the Reformation and well, this is the temptation of the church in every generation, the church had begun to place tradition over Scripture. The church could change their teachings according to the political winds of the day. If the church would figure out that they could raise more money by telling you that when you pay a certain amount of money, you have the forgiveness of sins, well, if the church wanted to, they could, they could do that. There was nothing that could challenge the tradition of the church or the teachings of man. When the word of God is no longer the source of our freedom, when the word of God is no longer our absolute truth, we will become unfaithful. Now with this idea of sola scriptura, scripture alone, Ironically enough, there are some words in the church that we use that are very important that are not in the Bible. In fact, these words that aren't in the Bible are so important that if you refuse to confess the doctrines they teach, we would say you're in danger of being outside of biblical Christianity. Words like Trinity, word, uh, words like sacrament, or words like, your pastor should go fly fishing every other month for his sanity. Okay, well, maybe the last one isn't in there. I'll give you that. But we do know fishing is in the Bible, so not too far off the point. But as we begin to consider Scripture alone, let us also consider some words, individual words. And words like Trinity. This word is not in the Bible. However, the church uses this word because false teachers began to teach falsely about who God is after the Bible was assembled together. They began to falsely teach 
that God, is, God the Father is a God, Jesus is a God, the Holy Spirit is a God. And so the church came up with a word to rightly confess what the scriptures teach, Trinity. God is one in three persons. Again, another word is sacrament. The church fathers in the early third and fourth century, they desired to teach the sacredness of the Lord's Supper and baptism and how it's different from all the other things that God commands us to do because there's a promise of forgiveness tied to these. One word, Trinity, sacrament. But when you open this word, when you explore what this word is according to the scriptures, a treasure chest is opened. And like a bottomless treasure chest, the more you dig into the meanings, the doctrines that these words teach, the more rich you, re you realize you are. We could say the same thing about the one word, Jesus. Jesus, it's just one name, but when you're taught about that name, you begin to realize and see why we say there is no name above that name, and that why at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. These are words that the church uses that aren't in the scriptures, but the tradition of the church being built on Christ himself, being anchored in sola scriptura, these words are beneficial. Now, these words are pretty simple. We use them often, or we should, but today we have one word in the Bible that you might not be familiar with. You wonder, I wonder if this word is even in the Bible. Well, that one word today that we hear from Romans chapter 3, 25, it's the word propitiation. Trinity isn't in the Bible, sacrament isn't, sim seemingly simple words, but propitiation? A word I would bet you have probably never used. A word that's hard to spell, hard to say, I'm probably going to trip over it a couple times in the sermon. But a word nonetheless that is very important. As important, I dare say, as knowing the name Jesus. Propitiation. It's probably a word that you should know and be ready to define since we are interested in sola scriptura. Using scripture alone to confess who Jesus is and what God has done for us and demands of us. So right away when you hear the word propitiation, you hear pro, which means in favor of or for something. The Bible is pro-life. We are a people who are pro-life. When you are proficient at something, you are good at it. Propitiation begins with the idea of a favorable disposition. Something is for you. Something is pro. Something is good. This word propitiation, it means that there is someone, generally a god or a person, who at one time had something against you. But a propitiation was given, was made, and now that person or god is favorable toward you. So the word propitiation 
used in, in English, and it's a word that much ink has been spilled over. Many, many people are not in agreement with the use of that word here in Romans 3.25. Not everyone is in agreement that propitiation is a good translation of the Greek. When, when Paul writes this, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now remember, the Old Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word that St. Paul uses here refers back to the Old Testament, back to a Hebrew term. If you remember, in the Old Testament, God demanded or God gave to the people the Ark of the Covenant. He told them how to build this box out of pure gold and that nobody could touch it. On the top of this box was a lid. And this lid, which was removable, this lid had two angels facing each other on each side. And the angels faced each other, and their wings went up over their heads, and they joined together in the middle, and God said, this point is where I am. This is where you will pour the blood of the sacrifice. This is the place of propitiation. This is the place when the blood is poured, you people will know that your sins have been forgiven. In Hebrew, the lid was called the kaporet, the place of propitiation or the place of mercy. Innocent blood had to be shed to pay for sins. You do the crime, pay the time. This was done every year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Blood was poured at the place of propitiation. The people's sins were forgiven. It was on that day that people saw in real time God acting on their behalf. And it still required faith. That because of this strange ceremony, God says we are forgiven. St. Paul says here in Romans that Jesus is the full and complete sacrifice. That all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, all the blood that was poured out on the Ark of the Covenant was a shadow of the real propitiation, the cross. That Jesus is the place of God's mercy. His blood is shed. The reason many people disagree with the word propitiation as a translation, is because they say that, well, if God is now favorable towards humanity, then that means at one time God was not favorable toward humanity. That before the sacrifice was poured out, God hated us. That God was our enemy. That, that God needs a sacrifice from us and then he approves of us. They said, that, that just doesn't sound right. That, that we have to offer a sacrifice and then God likes us? Like works righteousness. That's part of the reason many people don't like using this term propitiation here because it seems as if we have a hand in offering the sacrifice to God. That if it, it first is up to us, 
to give a sacrifice to God, and then he says, now I love you. Only after we make the first move, and then we are rewarded with faith. Many people begin to teach this, and this is, what, this is why it's important on Reformation Sunday we remember this. Because this is precisely what the Roman Catholic Church taught at the time of Luther and still teaches today. And many other churches teach this as well. That first, God gives you the ability to do good. And then you do good to God. And then with faith together, then you are saved that you contribute to your salvation by making a move towards God first, and then God is favorable towards you. That you have a hand in propitiation and making God favorable toward us. This flies in the face of today's passage where St. Paul uses this word propitiation. St. Paul says that righteousness is not a matter of the law. It's not a matter of us doing but a matter of gospel, of God doing something on our behalf. There's other biblical support for this. In Romans 5, St. Paul says, God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So are you a sinner? Well, good news, Christ died for you. That God is favorable toward us, he always has been and he always will be. But it's not because of some quality in us, but because of his mercy. But it is our sin and wickedness that God despises. And if you do not turn from your sin, if you do not despise of your sin, well, when you die, there's one word in the Bible for that, hell. But God is merciful towards us. God loves us. Paul isn't the only one, though, that recognizes not only the wickedness of sin, that blood must be shed, a payment must be made, but John in his first epistle. In 1 John 2, he says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Again, in 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So with the word propitiation, St. Paul, St. John, they confess a doctrine that's, that's not always easy to wrestle with. It's not an easy word to use. But with the word propitiation is tied up and bundled all of the Old Testament, all of God's presence to teach us that God desires to forgive you. He, does, he is favorable toward us. But if we believe we contribute to our salvation that we can offer a sacrifice to God that will appease his wrath at our sin, then God will give you what you want. He will give you a different God, yourself. And so many times we're tempted to think that we find freedom 
in doing what we want by avoiding church, avoiding doing good for others. We think that if I think of myself first, that's freedom. But no, that's a special kind of wicked prison. You being chained to your own desires, doing what you want, is the worst prison of all. But Jesus preaches in John to those around him. He says, the Son sets you free. If you, if you are my disciples, you will abide in my word, and the truth will set you free. Because if you refuse to turn from your sin, it's bad news. But for those who see their sin, those who lament their sin, the word propitiation is good because it puts, it puts the certainty of your salvation in God's hands. He did the work on your behalf. God gave the sacrifice, which was himself. It's not the Christian God that demands you contribute to your propitiation. That is another God. It's not the God who is himself the sacrifice. Propitiation was always the work of God. Even in the Old Testament, with the Ark of the Covenant. Who gave Israel the, the Ark of the Covenant? Who gave them the sacrifices? God demanded the sacrifices, but he also gave the satisfaction for their sin. This doctrine is taught on all the pages of the Bible. That is why on Reformation Sunday we remember sola scriptura is important, but sometimes the church teaches us a word that articulates the main teaching of Scripture, that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Jesus, as the propitiation for your sins, means that God uses real-world physical elements to show you that he loves you, that he still works on your behalf, that God's presence is still with his people, not in the Ark of the Covenant, but in the new covenant, his body and blood in the sacrament poured out for you. The blood of the sacrifice is not poured on a golden box anymore where the angel's wings meet. But God's presence is in you. As we just sang in our hymn, our bodies are his temple. His blood is poured out for you to drink and by faith be completely forgiven. We are washed in his blood in baptism. Christ Jesus is your propitiation. There's also a saying that's not in the Bible. Do the crime, you pay the time. Doing the time is propitiation. Jesus did the time for your sins. This word, we may not use it much in our day-to-day -day lives, but it expresses a truth that we can only know when we dive into the scriptures. And it is a treasure chest of gold. Because Jesus' death on the cross, you are forgiven all your sins. You see that God loves you. We are saved by faith alone. God is not out to destroy you nor your faith, but to give you true freedom. He desires you to see his mercy 
after even, even as he's getting you through the seemingly tough and sometimes impossible days. But Christ Jesus is your propitiation for you to see that God is favorable towards you. And may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.